The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. May that not escape us this morning that we are here because God loves us. We are here not because of something we've done or because of some faith that we have conjured up in ourselves, but we are here because we serve a God who would step off of his throne down into on this planet, live a perfect sinless life for us to take our sin on himself and die our death on the cross so that we could live forever with him. That's why we're here this morning. You are deeply loved, you are deeply favored, highly favored by God, that we would be able to sit here this morning under God's love is incredible. So may all that we've sung this morning not escape us. Um, So as we continue this morning, uh, we've just finished this series uh, together, and one of the things I like to do in between the series is that I just, I kind of ask around from different people, uh, what's going on, what, what, is, what are you curious about, what are some things God might be dealing with you about, and, and so I did that, and so this, this, month, uh, this Sunday and next Sunday, we'll actually be dealing with some things that, that other people, that people out in the congregation came and talked to me about, and so sometimes I'll, I'll ask somebody and they'll say something, and I'll go, wow, that's, yeah, it's really good, that's really interesting and and I'll keep asking and it'll keep coming up and so what we're talking about today is absolutely something that's come up a lot and so as we as we're going to get to talk about knowing God's will this morning I want to start um, by saying that I I, you guys know this you've heard me preach before that you've heard me talk about and there's no way get I can get around them but um, I have four incredible kids and what's wonderful about my kids they're six four and two is that they're always asking questions always asking questions and my wife and I we were trying to come up with some questions that we could share with you just some crazy questions that um, they've asked um, before and, and we were trying to find any that were church appropriate and uh, we, uh, we, we came up a little short. And so instead, I want to tell you uh, a question that a little kid asked that was not our little kid. This little four-year-old uh, asked her dad, uh, Daddy, when are you going to die? And the dad looked at her and said, well, I hope not for a long time. And she said, okay, well, when you and mom die, I want new parents. And he looked at her and said, what? And she said, well, look, I love you guys, but I need new parents because I'm not old enough to work the stove. And so anyway, I, I love the way their little brains work. They're always asking questions and, and, and you know what, even as, as adults, we always, there's, there's certain questions that are always running through our minds. Maybe not new questions, like little kids are always asking new questions. Maybe not new questions, but there's always some questions that just rattle around in our brain, no matter how old we get, no matter how many life experiences we have, they're always going around. And this is probably the biggest one. How can I know that I'm in God's will? How in the world can I know that I am in God's will? And, and we ask this question, typically when we make decisions. Not little decisions, not like you don't want to eat Frosted Flakes or don't want to eat Captain Crunch because that's, that's an obvious decision. You want to eat Frosted Flakes unless you like to eat fiberglass in a bowl, right? Like that's, that's an obvious choice. Frosted Flakes is superior. I don't mean just like little decisions like that. I mean big, big, not trivial decisions. Should I go back to school? What should my career be? Should I make a career change? Should I get remarried? Should I, should I move? Should we sell our house? All of these things, these really big, big time decisions. Should I retire? Should I continue to work a little bit longer? These are times when we start to ask ourselves, am I in the middle of God's will? And I'm kind of curious, and and you don't have to, you you can keep your hands down if you want to, but if you're right there, if you're in the middle of a big, big decision, would you just put your hand up? I'm just curious. I'm curious to see if that's going around out here. All right, we got a few. We got a few. I'm going to raise mine too, all right? I'm, I'm in it with you. Yeah. 
So, so we've got big, big decisions going around. And there's a scripture that we normally go to, and I think it's a good one. I think it's going to help us this morning kind of start our conversation. It's in Romans chapter 12. It's in Romans chapter 12. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. If you don't, you can follow along. There might be some Bibles under your seats. Um, if not, uh, then you can pull out your smartphone. Uh, you, can find, you can either find a Bible app or just go to your browser. Type in Romans 12, 1 through 2. This is where we're going to be this morning, our main scripture. Help us jump off this morning. Romans 12, verse 1 through 2. Let me read it to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So it says, by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What, is, what does that mean when it says the will of God? Because I believe there's a couple of categories that, that, are, that are under the will of God. I think one... We have his decretive will. We have his decretive will. I know it sounds like it should say decretive, but no. We have his decretive will. And, and what that means is uh, it, we see it in Isaiah 46 10. It says, My counsel shall stand, I will accomplish all my purpose. God so in God's sovereignty, he brings to pass what he wants to bring to pass. There's nothing that can derail it. There's nothing that can change it. And so we see that in creation, for example. Let's go right to the beginning. When God says, let there be light, what happens? There's light, boom. Just like he hit a switch. Let there be light and there is light. God decrees something to happen and it happens. And you can be sure that for all of time and, and, and when we're outside of time, that is still true. There is his decretive will, his perfect sovereignty. Nothing can change that. What God will perfectly do in the future and there's no changing it. But there's, there's also his commanded will, his commanded will. And this is what God commands us to do. And therefore, it's his will for us. So we see it in 1 Thessalonians a couple of times. In, verse, in chapter 4, it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Or, or 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So the will of command is God telling us to do something. And this is a, this is a will that, that we can break. This is a will that we can disobey. But it's a will that, that we can also know. One of these is knowable, one is not. Like the decretive will of God is not always knowable. Sometimes it is. Sometimes he might reveal to someone that his decretive will. But oftentimes he does not. This is his will that will happen no matter what. This is him weaving all things together for our good and for his purposes. But his commanded will we can know. And so I think the scripture is talking about the commanded will of God. How can we know the commanded will of God? Well, Let's go back to our scriptures. First, it says that we are to be a living sacrifice. That's in verse one. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, we don't make sacrifices anymore. If we, if we did, then I absolutely would not be in the priestly order. I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine before the service talking about getting a, a tattoo. Uh, he did pass out. Um, I absolutely would have passed out as well, and, and now I forever will never get a tattoo because I'm terrified even more than I was before. So if you brought up this little animal and you said, please sacrifice it for us, uh, then I would just uh, bring it home and I would be living with a bunch of sheep, right? And uh, I would not be able to do it. It just would not work for me. So we don't really have that. But in the Mosaic law, when you thought about sacrifices, in the book of Leviticus, it mentions 18 different times the word aroma, talking about a, a sweet smelling aroma of the sacrifice going up to God. And so again, what are, what are these sacrifices about? They were about pleasing God. 
They were something that was pleasing to God. And now our lives are to be on the same level. Our lives are to be living sacrifices, walking around in every day, every word out of our mouth, the thoughts in our minds, the way we interact with one another are to be sweet-smelling aromas to God. They're to be sacrifices to God. We see it in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So the first step in knowing the commanded will of God is to have this attitude that I am a living sacrifice. Isn't it interesting all these big truths we've talked about over the last, I would say six weeks. We talked about uh, the, the, will of the, the death of a disciple. We talked about being uncomfortable and all these things. We always came back to this idea, right? A living sacrifice. So if we want to know God's will for our life, then it starts there. Why in the world would he reveal anything to us if we have our own agenda that we're going to serve more than him? It would make sense. So it starts here with being a, a living sacrifice, willing to be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Father in every area of our lives. The second is testing with a renewed mind. Look in verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, but, 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 that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So you need two things. You need a renewed mind. You need a mind that's transformed. And how in the world do we get a mind that changes the way it thinks? Well, we need new influence. We need new input. And that would be the word of God. And how in the world do we test what's going on in our lives? We need something. We need a litmus test here. We need something to, to put it up against. What in the world do we have? If only we have the revealed will of God that we could put it up against. Oh, wait, we have the word of God. So that's what we need. We need the word of God to reveal to us what God wants us to do that commanded will and you say well this is all well and good I, I, I wrote it down in my notes and so thank you for the happy Jesus thought but what does this have to do with me deciding whether to quit my job or not what does this have to do with me deciding whether to pursue this treatment or this treatment what does this have to do with these big decisions well, I think you can apply the same thinking. I think you can apply the living sacrifices. Your motivation in making these decisions, are, they, are you motivated to be pleasing to God? Or are you motivated to be pleasing to yourself or someone else? I think that's applicable. I think the word of God, are there precepts in the scriptures that help you make that decision? For example, maybe it's black and white. Well, you know what? This path is greedy. This path hurts other people. So obviously the word of God would have me go here. This path is impatient. This path is not honest honor others, this path does, so obviously I should go here. But, but the reality is most of our big decisions are not that simple. Don't you wish they were decisions between evil and good, right? Wouldn't that be simple? I mean, you could choose, you could see it. This is bad. This is good, right? This is the light side. This is the dark side, right? This, 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 is, this is Star Wars. This is Star Trek. You see what was on the dark side? All right, anyway, this is, this is what, this makes sense to me. But oftentimes our big decisions are what? Well, this is good and this is good. Well, this, is, this isn't good, but it's not bad. This is, this is neutral. I could see it going either way. So what do I do here? Like, like, should I build a house or buy a house? I don't know. These are both good decisions. I, I have this job, which could, I can see a lot of great benefits, or I have this job, which I can see a lot of great benefits. What decision is God's will? Now, let me first say this. I think that when we ask that question, which decision is God's will? will. I think we are putting forth a false dichotomy. I think we are proposing a false dichotomy, meaning I don't think God's will is always singular. Do you get me? 
What I mean is sometimes we have, I have choice A and choice B. And they both seem good. Neither of them seem to be dishonoring to the Lord or to other people, all right? So I can love God and love people with both of these choices. Both of them seem good. I, I just don't know. I mean, which one's right? I think that way of thinking might be wrong. I think you're, you're saying that one is right and one is wrong when in fact, I, I think that in God's will, then, then potentially A and B could be right. And maybe there's a fill in the blank that God would accept too. And so let me kind of explain. I think a lot of times we have multiple opportunities within the permissive will of God. And if you say, well, well show me in the scriptures. Okay, Exodus 32, we see God and, and he is he's upset with Israel and he tells Moses, I'm going to wipe out my people and I'm going to continue my promise through you. I'm going to make a great nation through you. So God has this plan A. Plan A is I'm going to wipe out Israel, complete destruction, and I'm going to continue through you. And then Moses prays, and he says, God, please don't do this. And what does God do? God relents. God shows mercy. Was God out of control here? No, not at all. He allowed Moses to participate in his work. Could God have accomplished his decretive will to make Israel a light to the nations? Could he have accomplished that through the destruction of Israel on that day? and then continuing his line through Moses. Yes, he could have. Could he have continued his decretive will of, of making Israel a light to the nations by showing mercy? Yes, he could have, and he did. So here we have A and B, neither of them wrong. And yet, there's one. God goes one way. And so what I'm saying is, this means that our choice of thinking that either A or B, one of them is right, one of them is wrong, I think that's false. I think that's a false dichotomy. Sometimes the answer is A and B, and, and maybe even C, because sometimes God can be equally pleased with either of our choices. And let me give you a couple examples from my own life. I think um, I was in... I was in seminary uh, before, before even this job, before the job I had before this and the church I was in before, I was in seminary, and uh, I, was, I, I was miserable. I just didn't like it. I was there about a year and a half, and, and, and I was deciding whether or not to quit. And ultimately, I did quit, and I, and I took a job at a church. So, so this job, this church, it was going to, if I quit, it was going to afford me the opportunity to do full-time ministry, not part-time ministry. I'd never done full-time ministry, and this church was dumb enough to let me do it. And uh, don't laugh, you were too. And so anyway, I, I had that opportunity, or, or I could have stayed in seminary, could have finished my master's, and that would have been probably good. And, and, and then I, I would have part-time ministry the whole time. And I would have entered full-time ministry with that, that completed master's. And, and you know what? I, they were both good choices. I can see how God could have done incredible things either way, but I chose one. I think God's blessed me that way. It looks that way. I, I think even other really big opportunities, you say, well, big deal, quit and sin. What, what does that have to do with anything? I, I, I'm going to say something very unromantic. My wife and I, we've been married... Next week, we've been married uh, 11 years. And uh, yeah, woohoo. All right, so anyway, she's a patient woman. Uh, but we've, we've, been married, uh, we've been married 11 years next week, and uh, it's, been, it's been a blast. Why am I about to cry talking about you? It just hit me all of a sudden. Sorry, um, I love her. So, but let me say this. Wow, that just, all right. All right, so anyway, I don't know where that came from. I just love you. Okay. Back on track. So, but let me say this. So that little romantic moment, 
let me take it back to something not romantic. I think I made a choice to love Angela. Angela made a choice to love me. What if before we got married, we decided not to love each other anymore? There were moments it got hard. Well, every day with me was hard. But there were, there were very few moments where it got hard for me to love her. But what if in those moments we had made a decision not to and we had walked away and, and we had pursued other people? Are there other people on this planet that my wife is just as compatible with, even, maybe even more compatible with than me? Yeah, I think so. There's nothing special about me. And I think the same is true for her. I think, they're, they're, I, I think that there are probably other women out there I'm just as compatible with. And you go, wow, that's so unromantic. Like your, your date next week's gonna be fantastic. No, 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 don't, don't miss what I'm saying. I chose to love her. And I will choose to love her for the rest of my life. There's no one else that will have my attention. There's no one else that'll have my heart, nobody. Because I choose to give it to her. And I'll do it forever and ever and ever until she kills me. <laughs> Which, may this go on record, if you're listening to this podcast and I am dead, Angela Nixon. No, anyway. But, but do you get my point? I, I think that, that I made a choice to love Angela. But if I'd made a choice to love someone else, I, I think God could have blessed that too. Do you get what I'm saying? And you go, how can you be saying these things? How does this even make sense? Because of one of my favorite verses that we quote all the time, Romans 8, 28. For God, uh, uh, I'm sorry, and we know that for those who love God, different translation, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God is not singularly locked into A or B because God is powerful. He's supremely powerful. He is the alpha and the omega. He is at the, he is at the beginning and he is at the end. He hasn't seen the end, he's already there. He can take all of these different things and weave them together. So somehow he can take A, B, C and the right in answer D. He can take all of those and weave that together to serve his decretive will perfectly. He's supremely powerful. He's not limited. He's not going, oh my goodness, oh no. If Grant goes this way, I'll never be able to accomplish the work I wanted to accomplish. No, he's supremely powerful. And secondly, he's supremely kind. He's supremely kind. From the beginning, God has called his creation to participate in his work. Isn't that crazy? God has called us to participate. When you look at the Garden of Eden, what does he say? Adam, go sit over there. I'm gonna start naming these animals. Gorilla, right? No, what does he do? Adam, name the animals. Adam, tend the garden. Would you, would you subdue creation? I want you to rule over it for me. Supremely kind like that. He does it to Israel. Hey, Israel, you crazy, crazy people. I want you to be a light to the nations. Hey, disciples, I want you to go out and tell people that the kingdom of God is near. He's calling us to participate in his work. Does our participation change his decretive will? Not at all. God's ultimate purposes will be absolutely fulfilled, and yet he's so kind that he allows us to participate. He's like a good father in that way. I think about uh, just a couple weeks ago, uh, I, I was really, really hating myself, so I thought I'd punish myself, and I built my kid's swing set. And so as I, as I was building that swing set, that was a, a little two-day endeavor, uh, and as I was building that swing set, my boys came out. And they were, they were just absolutely just enamored uh, with, the, with the drill, you know, like drilling nails and they just thought this, was, this power drill was just absolutely incredible. And I gotta be honest, as somebody who uses it once eh, every six years, I am, I am equally enamored. I'm like, can you believe it? So anyway, they're watching me. And so my boys say, daddy, daddy, we want to help. And so I let them help. And so if you go to our swing set, 
You can see the screws that they did. They look really good, and then there's their, their mine. No, but anyway, no, you'll see some screws that aren't flush with the wood because they go in at a very unnatural angle, right? You'll see, you'll see some screws that, that kind of poke out of the side of the ladder as, as they climb up. No kids, don't put your hand on the outside, right? Like you'll see, you'll see it, doesn't, it doesn't look exactly right sometimes. It took me a little bit longer to get through putting that thing together with their participation. But was my ultimate decretive will accomplished? Did we build the swing set? Yes, it is built. It is standing for now. But it is up, right? Can you see my boy's fingerprints all over it? You absolutely can. Why? Because I love my boys. I want them to participate in my work. When you look at the nation of Israel, was God's decretive will accomplished with his people? Absolutely. Can you also see Moses' fingerprints all over that people? Absolutely. Why? Because God is supremely kind, allowing us to participate in his work. So I think that's some of the best news we can possibly hear today, that, that God's will is not locked into a single choice. Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. I hope that that's a freeing thought for you today. I hope that for some of you, you came in here with these big decisions. You have this pressure that you're putting on yourself. Am I going to make the right decision or the wrong decision? I hope that pressure has faded as you realize that our God is supremely powerful and supremely kind. He's the alpha and the omega, and he's always weaving our decisions into his decretive work. So now the question is, what do we do with these big decisions? Okay, I don't have to be afraid of A is right, B is wrong. I don't have to be afraid of that anymore. But I still have to make a big decision. So how do I do it? Well, you mean, using Romans 12 too, it tells us we need a renewed mind. So we still need the word of God. We need biblical principles for decision making. And they're here. And so again, those of you who raised your hand earlier, you've got a big decision to make. What I want to do is I want to give you six biblically driven questions to ask yourself. To ask yourself in making big decisions. That will, that will help you uh, try to make big decisions that will line up um, with what God would have us do. With God's commanded will. We know he'll take care of the decretive will. Uh, we're going we're gonna to focus on the commanded will. So these six questions will help us line up with that. So number one. Number one, ask yourself, do I have all the facts be careful about jumping to conclusions. You know, I don't, um, my wife belongs to a gym up where we live and she's, uh, uh, she, she takes care of herself and, and, and the most workout, like the, the most exercise I ever do is I jump to conclusions, uh, like a lot, like really far. And, and I think we do that a lot. I mean, we trust our information gathering abilities. I trust my ability to understand more than I trust your ability to understand. And that is not just my own personal arrogance. I think that's everyone's own personal arrogance. I want to hear it from myself. Why? Do you think that you can gather information better than the person who just gave it to you? Yes, I do. And you do too. That's how our brains work. And so sometimes we just, we trust ourselves too much and we don't have all the facts and we get the slightest little, little piece of evidence. And just like CSI, New York, Miami, Memphis, Reno, whatever they are now, we just, we just follow that through to something crazy. We come to some crazy conclusions. I mean, the smallest little piece of information and we make really big disproportionate decisions and we take these crazy actions and sometimes we jump to conclusions without all the facts because we are rushing the decision. 
We have the fear of FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. I gotta make a decision because if I don't, it's all gonna fall apart or I'm not gonna have this opportunity anymore. Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. And so we need to stop and calm down and ask ourselves, do I have all the facts? Regardless of why, again, sometimes we, we jump to conclusions and what happens when we do it? Well, one, we look foolish. Proverbs 18, 17, the first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. We'll look foolish when people look into what we are doing and saying we act foolishly. Proverbs 18, 13, he who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. We don't have enough information to make a responsible decision, and so we act foolishly. And thirdly, we foolishly hurt others. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of the man does not quickly produce the righteousness of God. Oftentimes I quote, be, be quick to hear and slow to speak. But, but the scripture puts that with, and slow to become angry. Why? Because oftentimes, like we, when we aren't gathering information, we assume we know everything, and then we jump to, we allow that to drive our emotions, and then we hurt people. We get angry and we hurt people. I mean, think about it. I, I, this is. I know I might be crazy, and you might go, "Okay, that's the final straw. We got to get this guy out of the church." But, but maybe this is true for you. Have you ever had a dream? Have you ever had a dream about somebody? Gotten angry about what they did in the dream, and then you woke up, and the next time you saw them, you were angry at them. Anybody? Anybody else feel that? Am I crazy? Am I the, okay, good. All right, excellent. All right. I thought maybe I had like a carbon monoxide leak in my house. Okay, so anyway, yeah, like our emotions, they can't be trusted. And so when we, when we don't gather information and we just give into those emotions, we, we end up doing foolish things. So ask yourself, do I have all the information? Ask a lot of questions. Ask a lot of questions. Even ask the question, including, can this information I have be trusted? And also remember that your emotions can't be. So the first thing, do I have all the facts? The second, have I gone to God honestly and thankfully about this? Have I gone to God honestly and thankfully about this? Who do you trust? Think about who you trust. Now do this little mental exercise with me. Imagine whatever it is that, that you've been, something you've wanted for a long time. I don't know what it is. Like maybe it's an opportunity, maybe it's a job, maybe it's, Something going on in your family. I don't know. Think about that right now. You got it? You got it? For me, it's a Nintendo Switch. Anyway, all right. So anyway, you're thinking about whatever it is. Now you've got it. Whatever it is, it just happened right now. Boom, right there. Who do you call first? Who do you call first? All right, keep, let's keep going with that. So think about maybe a major decision. You have an opportunity in front of you. I mean, it's big time. It's life-changing. You know, an opportunity to, to change careers, an opportunity to, to, to go experience this or do that or whatever it is. I mean, it is big time and it's a big decision. Who do you call first? Who is it? Who do you go to first? With big decisions, I think you always go to the person you trust the most first. You always go to the person you trust the most first. I, I just think that's true. I, I mean, think about that mental exercise you just, you just did. When you got that thing you've been wanting so long, who'd you go to first? I, I went to my wife. When you had that decision to make, who did you go to first? I went to my wife. You always go to the person you trust the most. Well, check this out. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. If we trust God, 
then with these big decisions, even though we're super smart, and even though the people we know are super smart, our first person we go to is God. And he's given us a framework to do that. Look at Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we're to go honestly to God first, in everything, by prayer and supplication, in everything. Don't hold back. Go to him. He can handle it. He's not surprised. He's not baffled. He's not stumped. Give him your feelings. Give him your desires. Be honest with him. And secondly, we do it thankfully. It says with thanksgiving. I think oftentimes in the valley of decision, I lose thank- thankfulness. That's, that doesn't come with me into the valley of decision. Because I got all this other stuff I got to worry about, right? I got, I got A and B here, right? And oh, looks like C just popped up. I've got all these decisions to make. I've got all these avenues to consider. And so thankfulness isn't always there. But when we leave out thankfulness, what happens? Our perspective is warped and we forget how good God is. And, and we no longer can see him in A and B and C because we've forgotten him behind us. We've forgotten all he's done. So it weakens our faith, it weakens our perspective. And what's the result? If we go to him honestly and we go to him thankfully, what's the result? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Think about that big decision you have to make. Whatever it is, if you raised your hand, maybe you didn't. Think about that big decision that you have to make. Does it make any sense for you to feel peace when you're in the tension of having to make that decision? Does Does it make any sense for you to be at peace right now? Does it? I mean, think about it. Does it make any sense for you to be at peace right now with so many financial concerns in the air between decision A and B and C and whatever else you got out there? Does it make any sense to feel any peace with that giant question mark over you? Does it make any sense? Here's the good news. If we go to God honestly and thankfully, he gives us a peace that doesn't make sense. So his word says, and and God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which doesn't make any sense, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Right where you are, the peace of God can can be right where it doesn't make sense. Right in the valley of decision where peace doesn't belong, his peace can get there. It can get to you. So ask yourself, have I gone to God honestly and thankfully about this? Thirdly, what biblical principles should inform my decisions? What biblical principles should inform my decisions? Proverbs 2.6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. This goes back to having a renewed mind. We want to think through these decisions well, then we need to do it from a place of godly wisdom. And the only way to get that is to go to his word. So what does the Bible say about your decision, about the decision you have to make? Maybe nothing directly. Maybe it says nothing about you should buy a house versus you should rent a house for a year and then buy a house. Like not, Maybe nothing specifically. But the Bible does speak about stewardship. Maybe God would speak to you through those verses. The the Bible does speak about prudence. Maybe God would speak to you through that. So just look at the book. Just go back to the book and ask. and, and, And ask yourself, what does the Bible say about my situation? And then maybe you need to ask this. Who can help me understand what God's word says about the decisions I have to make? And go, to, go seek out somebody. Get, find godly counsel who will help you see God's guidance through the word of God. Because oftentimes what will be helpful is that if your interpretation of scripture speaking to you doesn't match theirs, oftentimes that's God revealing to you that you're reading your own biases into the scriptures. You know what you want. You want this to happen. And so you'll find a scripture and it'll go, bam, that's what it says. And then you'll go to a friend and you'll say, well, you know what? God really spoke to me. Check out the scripture. 
And they're like, that's an Old Testament law about goats. What are you talking about, right? Like this has nothing to do with what you're thinking. So, so maybe seek out godly counsel and say, is, you know, I'm, I'm seeing God say this to me. What do you think? What does, that, what does that mean to you? So what biblical principles should inform my decisions? Fourthly, what are my motives? Proverbs 16, 2. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motive. Sometimes we get so caught up in the excitement and the pressure of making this new decision that we don't even stop and ask, why are we making the decision? On the surface, sure. Well, it's a good opportunity. Well, well I, I have these two opportunities right in front of me. This retirement plan is great, or this job looks fun. Like, okay, yeah, obviously I, I, should, I should talk about this, but do we ever stop and go under the surface why am I really making this decision? And the question we have to ask ourselves as believers is, is this for the glory of God's name or my own? Is this really about making God look better? Is this really about, uh, about showing him off or is this really about me? And this goes back to that idea of being a living sacrifice. And you can take good, good things and without checking your motives, do, do them for bad reasons. I know that's been true in my own life where I've entered a ministry context. Man, this ministry looks good and all these people will be helped and I could speak here and this will be great and whatever. And, and I never checked my motives and I went in with wrong motives. I went in because I wanted people to see how great I was. I went in because I wanted the experience so I could go tell somebody else about it. And my motives were wrong. And, and, and if I had stopped and I would checked my motives before the Lord, Lord, this is, this is my heart. And if I, had, if I had honestly acknowledged that I have blind spots and I'd gone to my friends and said, hey, listen, this is what I'm feeling and this is why I'm thinking about doing this, then, then maybe God would have spoken clearly and he would have revealed to me these weaknesses. He would have revealed to me these true motives. And maybe I could have changed. Maybe those things could have changed. And I could have experienced the reward that God has for me instead of missing out because I wanted something else. So we need to be thoughtful and ask, what are my motives? Fifthly, ask, have I considered all possible outcomes? I can get so excited about what's gonna happen next that I don't think about step B or step C, right? Or I can be so arrogant that I don't even believe that an outcome other than what I want will happen. I know that that, that happens all the time. I've got a, a, our basketball season just ended um, yesterday. And my son's team, my oldest son's team, uh, my, my younger team, the, the four and five-year-olds, they're hilarious. But my, my older team, they're pretty good. We've got some really good players on that team. And so for a few weeks, we didn't lose. And I'm telling you, I'm telling these kids, I, I mean, we, we will probably lose. I just can't see it happening. And then we lost like big. We lost big, big time. And it baffled them. It absolutely baffled them. I mean, we were standing in the hallway you had thought they just hopped off helicopters from Vietnam. They're just like standing there and they're just speechless. And I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. They had never considered that they would actually lose. And I'm going like, look at who's coaching you. Absolutely, that's a possibility. But Proverbs 14, 15 says, the naive believes everything, but the prudent man considers his steps. Proverbs 27, 12, a prudent man sees evil and hides himself. The naive proceed and pay the penalty. Considering all possible outcomes protects you, of course. But not only does it protect you, it protects other people. And loving other people is all about consideration. So how will my decision affect the people that God has placed around me? Think it through. Think it through. As Christian always says to me, whiteboard it. We gotta go to the whiteboard. There's two things in this world Christian loves, Annie and whiteboards. I don't know what it is. But, but go to the whiteboard. What's he saying? Think it through. Let's think it through. Let's, let's flesh it out. And assess the potential risks. I'm a positive person by nature. I'm not a natural Eeyore. But get your little Eeyore out, right? 
and assess the potential risks. Why? For the love of those around you. Jesus in Luke 14 tells a parable and he says, look, a man who wants to build a tower considers the costs. He considers everything that's gonna go wrong so that he can consider the cost. I think we should do the same. Have I considered all possible outcomes? And lastly, six, what is the counsel of my community? Proverbs eleven fourteen: where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. God has given you a community of believers as a resource. Look around. This is a resource God has provided for you. People from many different experiences, many different walks of life, people who bring all kinds of different uh, uh, thoughts and, and, and ways of approaching God's word, they're all here for you. To, to be a resource for you. And sometimes our excuse for not seeking counsel is, you know what, the decision is just too personal. A, B, and C are just way too personal. Well, let me say this. There should be people in your life, people in the community of faith in your life that too personal doesn't apply to. Do you hear what I said? There should be people in your life within the community of faith that you belong in that too personal never applies to. I have people like that in my life. And oh, I wish too personal applied sometimes. But it doesn't. It can't. If I want to live this life God's called me to, then it can't. Do you have those people in your life? Another reason we often don't seek counsel is we say, I know what I want to do. Okay, yeah, yeah, A or B, but I know what I want to do. I would say this. I'm not talking about being thoughtful and thinking this through and and I've sought counsel and I'm going to go this way. I'm talking about just, you know what? I'm making my decision. I I, I know what I want to do. Well, I, I would say living sacrifices oftentimes don't talk like that. Because living sacrifices are thoughtful about their master. Living sacrifices are worried that, not worried, but concerned that I want my decisions to be a sweet-smelling aroma to God, so I'm gonna take them seriously. I'm gonna honor God. What does it say? Honor God with all of our heart and our strength and our, our mind, right? I'm gonna honor God. I'm gonna do the hard work and think this through. So regardless of your big decision, I think the wisdom of God would tell you to seek out counsel from your community of faith. So just sum them all up. Do I have all the facts? Have I gone to God honestly and thankfully about this? What biblical principles should inform my decisions? What are my motives? Have I considered all possible outcomes? And what is the counsel of my community? We've all been in the valley of decision, and I know I have. I know I haven't lived long, but I know I've experienced a lot of valley of decisions, whether it's college or career or to quit school or start a new career or, or getting married or, or changes and, and with my house and children and medical decisions. We've all been there. But I want to encourage you that as you walk in the valley of decision today, don't fear because our God is with you and our God is ultimately incredibly powerful and incredibly kind. And he's a God who likes to weave all things together for our good. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us. So let me pray for us. Lord, as we get to respond now in song together, um, Lord, we're thankful for your love and your concern for us. Um, Lord, uh, the enemy would would like for these these valleys of decisions to be lonely places where we forget you, where we forget your power, we forget your faithfulness, where we're not thankful, we're certainly not grateful, um, Lord, and, and we're afraid. But God, thank you for revealing to us that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry about A or B being right or wrong. Sometimes they're right and right. And we have a God who is like a good dad, who's going to accomplish his purposes because he's supremely powerful. But because you're so supremely kind, you allow us to put our fingerprints on it. You allow us to work within the framework you've constructed in our lives. So thank you. I pray a lot of freedom would be brought here today. 
So Lord, thank you for setting us free. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.